It's so awkward. <laughs> I make everything awkward. That's my only job. Okay. Welcome to Horror Academy, where we make the introductions awkward so that you can enjoy the awkwardness and we don't have to anymore. Hello, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Alexandria Youngray, and I'm joined with my lovely co-host, Sunshine Billon. What up? Oh, damn it. I think I said what up last time. Oh, well, that's okay. No, I think you said a. Oh, I did. I did. I can just go from one bro greeting to another. Perfect. Yeah, you're the token bro. Oh dear. Very important in a horror podcast. Mm-hmm. Let's talk horror, shall we? Yeah. Hey Sunshine, do you believe in ghosts? Ooh. <laughs> the one that lived in my attic as a kid, definitely. Oh really? Oh yeah, we had this whole story about like what did we call him? <sighs> it was like the guy who built the house. So when like when my when I was little and my brother and I were growing up, like anytime there was a weird noise in the attic or anything like that, that retrospectively was like probably raccoons. My mom was like, "Oh, it's like, I wish I could remember his name. But it's not Joe, but it's something like that." And she's like, "He built the house, and it's okay because if you're home alone, you're never home alone, so you don't have to worry." And I'm like, "All right, cool." So it was always kind of this like, you know, anytime ghosts came up when I was a kid, it was a very benevolent force. Like, yeah. I feel like throughout my life I've either not been particularly scared of ghosts or, well, no, 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 that's not true. I've either not believed in ghosts or I've believed in them a little but thought that they weren't necessarily, like, there was no reason for them to be bad. Mm, Yes. I never really thought that there was, like, evil ghosts. Yeah. Because, like, I don't know what they're going to do, scare you to death? Right. Although I guess that's the plot line in a lot of movies, and yeah. it does scare me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, okay. We're going to Amityville. Amityville is a fairly small town that sits on the Long Island coast in New York. It's 45 minutes to an hour and a half from Manhattan. Okay, so that's not actually too far. That's, like, way closer than I am to Salt Lake City. Oh, yeah. No, it's totally. It's very close. I mean, fuck. Utah's one of those big states, and New York's one of those little states, so... Everything is farther away in Utah than it is in New York. Mm-hmm. So that's where we are. Amityville was first settled in the 1600s. And then I wrote, well, first settled by white people. <laughs> that's accurate. Because <laughs> natives were definitely already there. Um, it was finally incorporated as the town of Amityville in the late 1800s. And according to town lore, the name Amityville comes from a request for friendliness during a argument in their town hall when they were trying to name the village so is that like amity like amnesty amity like friendship okay yeah so okay basically they were having a fist fight and we're like we need we need to not have fist fight let's not name our city after not having a fist fight it began as a farming community with extensive ties to the boating and fishing industries because you know the coast and it still it still certainly maintains those ties to fishing and boating 
Yeah. But around the 19th century, Amityville became, like, the go-to summer location. 19th century? 20th century. In the early 1900s. So, like, around the turn of the century. Okay. And the economy kind of became mainly lodging and tourism. But they, they still maintained, like, their boating industries. Right. Also, during Prohibition, it became a pretty, like, rad rum and hooch run run spot. And it was literally because of the coastal ties. Right, that makes perfect sense. But after after Prohibition, Amityville actually, like, cleaned its act up. And now has a very low crime rate. Oh, lovely. Good for you, Amityville. But that doesn't show in the rest of this story. (laughs) (laughs) So, for the rich and famous Manhattanites, Amityville has become a cute little town with expensive-ass houses and residents who often live in Amityville but travel daily to Manhattan for work. It's kind of like the East Coast Park City. So, the DeFeo family was just such a family. DeFeo. Sort of. Ronald Joseph DeFeo Sr., or Big Ronnie, was born November 16th, uh, November 16th, 1930, to Rocky and, oh, sorry, Rocco and Antoinette DeFeo. Ooh, Rocco. Yeah. Very Italian. That's a very manly name, isn't it? Super, yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was very handsome. If you go to your document, I have a picture. Yeah, he is kind of pretty. Yeah, he's a pretty boy. Such pretty. Yeah, so that's the daddy. That's the daddy. He's a handsome young man, and he was able to attract the beautiful, aspiring model, Louise Marie Brigante. Ooh, Brigante. Louise was born November 3rd, 1931, to Michael and Angela Brigante. So Michael and Angela didn't approve of Big Ronnie. So after their wedding, they actually cut off ties with their daughter Louise, until the birth of their first son, Ronald Joseph DeFeo Jr., or Butch. So, Butch was born September 22nd, 1951. The couple had four more children. Don Teresa, born July 29th, 1956. Allison Louise, born August 16th, 1961. Mark Gregory, born September 4th, 1962, which is almost my birthday. (laughs) And John Matthew, born October 24th, 1965. So Big Ronnie was actually a violent and abusive asshole. Oh, Yeah. Lame, Big Ronnie. Lame. Butch, being the eldest son, got it the worst because he was a male and he was the oldest and he just had, like, higher expectations for him and this and that and yada yada but all of the kids and his wife louise definitely received his violence as well oh that sucks yeah so after mark was born louise actually left big ronnie probably for the abuse did she take the children with or did she leave the children with him i think she took the children okay the interesting part of that is uh big ronnie to win her back he wrote her a love song that he literally hooked up with famous jazz singer Joe Williams to record. It's called The Real Thing, and it came out on his album One is a Lonesome Number in 1963. What? So Big Ronnie hooked up with a jazz, jazz singer? singer? Yeah. I, of, of the ma- uh, I mean, no, no, he didn't hook don't. up with him. You said literally he- hooked up. No, he, like, got together with... Oh, sweet Jesus. I thought... I was he like, hooked what is up 
not in a sexual way, but in like a business transaction kind of way. I definitely okay. I was like way hung up on that for he was he was a long probably time. not fucking the jazz singer. Okay, okay. Oops. So I'm sorry. Tell me that I'm gonna. Oh my god. Tell me the name of the song again, please. Okay. So he writes the song, hooks up with Joe Williams, not sexually. Not sexually. Not sexually. The song is called The Real Thing. He writes this song for her. It's a love song. And it works. They get back together. After that, John Matthews born. So in June of 1965, which means that Louise is actually pregnant with John, uh, the family moves from their Brooklyn apartment to 112 Ocean Avenue in Amityville. This is the house. The house. The house. It's this nice-ass Dutch colonial. It's three stories plus a basement. It's got these two half-moon windows on the top floor that kind of give the house a face. And on the lawn, they put a sign called High Hopes. Aww. Yeah. So you can see it. I posted a picture to our Google Docs. In that same thing? Mm-hmm. And you can actually see the sign. It says High Hopes, and it's got, like, this weird, cute little, like, squirrel on it. Weird, cute little squirrel. <laughs> and uh, and you can see the the windows that are just super iconic. Oh, yes, it does look like a face. Yeah. He also commissioned portraits of the family that they hung on the stairs. Right, those So that's things. what all of these are. That's why they're like these weird photorealistic, but very obviously painted. Right. Yeah. It's because they're actually commissioned portraits. Louise is a pretty lady. This is her at like 40 something. Okay. She did look a little older, but she's a very pretty lady. Yeah. She's, uh, she's 42. Okay. Um, approximately at the time of this picture, but you know, she's got that, like, She's kind of got that, like, 1960s, 1970s, like, Italian New York oh. housewife vibe. Yeah, definitely. You can With see the that. pearls and these fucking dope-ass rings and the big hair. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. She's very it's, befitting her era. She's very befitting. And that and that chair. Like, it looks like a decent chair, but the upholstery is like, oh, boy. Ooh, what are you that's doing? That's some <laughs> fun choices, isn't it? <laughs> Because it's the seventies. Yeah, the um, but. the one that really got me. Well, the the portrait of Allison and Dawn, almost to me looks like an Instagram filter. Like, right? Like, Doesn't oh, it? Like hardcore, and that's what kind of tripped me up. I was like, wait a second, that's weird. Yeah. But no, it's weird how photorealistic these are. But then the the mom and Mark and John are clearly painted. Yeah. But the the girls and Butch and Big Ronnie. Kind of not so clearly painted. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. The one where um, Big Ronnie is pouring a drink for Butch? I don't I don't even know if that's actually... That might just be that they blew up a picture and framed that it. That one looks like a photo I, for sure to me. I know, doesn't it? But, like, so does the Allison and Dawn picture. Yeah, that's true. But definitely so. the... Jeez, the picture of Mark and John, like, seeing that one. That looks like shit, shit straight out of a horror movie. Like, the way he's... He just... Like, I don't know if, what Mark's story ends up being, but, like, damn. I cannot damn. believe that you don't know this story. You are gonna be so sad. Oh, I am. I'm ready. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to you and to the five listeners 
who haven't heard this story before. Oh, <laughs> you think we have more than five listeners, do you? I think we have five listeners. I saw our, I saw our stats. There's like 70 downloads. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks everyone. Thanks, two people. <laughs> Download us onto all your devices. <laughs> so, so yeah. And uh, Ronnie Sr. was actually just like a car salesman. Right. I was going to ask what he did. Was it just like the era where if you were just a car salesman, you could have a dope house in Amityville and a big two, three, three boats of a car? I actually think that that might be a picture from a crime night. Oh, so that's... Which would be why there's so many cars parked in front of it. Right. But still. I'm not 100%. Although, actually, no, those might be their cars. Right, to have three... Because Ronnie had a car, and Don had a car, and little Ronnie had a car. There you go. So, and to... they worked at a Buick dealer, and those, I right. think, are all Buicks. Right, that makes sense. I can't, I definitely won't claim to know enough about cars to be able to identify a 1960s Buick from a black and white photo, but I'm just saying, being a car dealer and being able to afford to buy a home in Amityville and have three cars, like, right on, Well, Lenny. A, he was a car dealer for his father-in-law's car dealership. His father-in-law's? Yeah. So Michael Brigante almost certainly helped the family out. Yes. Okay. But B, there is some very likely possibilities. Oh, please tell me mob ties. Please tell me mob ties. Yes. Yes. Yes, Mob ties. Yes. (laughs) It's probable. Oh, Italians, you do not disappoint. It's, it's probable. Uh, and so, you know, there may have been more money than meets the eye. All right. But also, if you're, like, a really rockin' car salesman, then, like, you got a good family. But he had a wife and five kids. Yeah, five. So That's a lot of money. So, I don't know how feed. expensive shit was in the 60s and 70s. Obviously less than it is now. But, like, hot damn. Hotdamn.com. <laughs> so here is when you cry. Oh, no. It's November 13th, 1974. We're at Henry's Bar. 6.30 p.m. Butch bursts into the bar and shouts, you gotta help me. I think my mother and father are shot. Uh Uh-oh. So, (laughs) oh man, this is such a terrible story, but it's like so slapstick. Oh, that makes it worse. I know. Butch's best friend, Robert Bobby Kelsky, Kelsky. offers, are you sure they're not asleep? Oh, uh, I think they're shot. Are you sure they're not asleep? With an open jar of raspberry jam? Yeah. I mean, haven't you ever fallen asleep? Like, you just make yourself some toast. And you, like, just took some NyQuil. But, like, you're hungry because, like, you've been sick. You haven't been eating So you well. take a loaf of bread you and the jam your toast, to your bed. Got your your jam. And you just fall asleep and it just gets all over you. Oh, my God. <laughs> all right. So, idiot friends aside. Idiot friends aside. John Altieri, Joey Yeswit, Al Saxton, and William Scordamaglia pile into Butch's Buick oh, and drive Scordamaglia. approximately a block to 112 Ocean Avenue. Wow. Approximately a block. I have, yeah. So in that document uh-huh, uh-huh. with the pictures, I have some screenshots. Of the maps. I saw the maps. Okay. 
Oh my gosh, a six minute walk. It's a six minute walk. It is a one minute drive. It is 0.3 miles. It is like a block. They pile into his car. Like six fucking guidos in a car. (laughs) I don't want to like... I, like, it's such a tragic and horrifying situation, but also, like, what the fuck, guys? Ugh. How old were these men? In their early 20s. Okay, okay. That's, you know, that makes up for a lot. That going explains age. a lot of stupidity, right? When you have, like, drunk 20-something-year-olds trying to deal with a potential murder. Okay. So they all pile into the car. And they drive two seconds <laughs> to get to his house. Butch waits in the car. And the bar friends go inside. Why does he wait in the car? Probably because he's upset, but also there's more to come. Okay, okay. Wink, nudge, wink. Uh-oh. Bar friends go inside. They go to they go up to the second floor, and they find Ronald Sr., who's 43 at the time, and Luis DeFeo, who's 42 at the time, in their bed. They had been shot dead. Joe Yeswit made the emergency call to Suffolk County Police, who completed the search of the rest of the home. So across from the parents' room is John and Mark's room. John is nine at the time. Mark is 12. Next door is Allison, who's 13. And then on the top third floor is Don, who's 18. All of them were found lying on their stomachs, shot dead. Holy shit. Whole bunch of tummy sleepers shot in the night. Yep. So Bush is now the only DeFeo still alive, and he's taken into protective custody. Butch tells the police that the family is tied to the mob through the Brigante car dealership. It's supposed to be, like, a front for money laundering okay. and body disposal. Ew. So, like, the dirty jobs. Right. And he says that, you know, they they were doing the jobs, but they didn't do it good enough. Or he says that he called this, this dude Louis Fellini a cocksucker. Or whatever, but he believes that the family annihilator could have been the mafia hitman, Luis Fellini. It seems a little bit suspect to me that the one person who's alive is like, oh my god, the mob did it. Good. It's a little suspicious. He's taken into protective custody at first, but police begin to investigate and the police attention goes back to Butch when they find a box in his room for a thirty-five caliber Marlin rifle. Let me guess. It's That's what they were shot with. That was the murder weapon. Ah, great. Yep. Hmm. Okay. So let's start over. Butch started out as one hell of a problem child. He was abused by his father, but he was an example of, like, hurt people hurt people. Right. Because um, even back in B- Brooklyn, he was a notorious schoolyard bully. Oh, great. Uh, he was also a fat kid growing up. Uh, until he started doing amphetamines as a teenager. I was going to say, this picture of Ronald Butch Jr. He looks pretty svelte. Yeah, that's because he was doing meth oh. and heroin. Because, <laughs> you know, speedballs is where the 70s is at. I was about to say speedballing. Yeah, great. Great. Oh my god. Speedballs. Yeah. Let me just give you a PSA on what not to do. God. So his parents did try taking him to a therapist. But it didn't exactly sink. So instead, his folks just gave him everything he wanted. Great. Throw money at the problem. My kid has addiction and behavioral problems, and I am not enough of an adult to deal with it. So I'll give them money. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So they give him cars. They give him a $14,000 boat. Which then, like, that's an expensive boat. Right? 
Now that's an expensive boat. I want a $14,000 boat, my God. I want a $14,000 car. I have a $14,000 car. I finally paid it off while my leg was broken so I couldn't drive it. (laughs) (laughs) I can drive it again now. It's fine. (laughs) So they also give him a weekly allowance of $500. That's insanity. Right? How do I get that job? Right? Just get paid to be an a-hole? I don't know. Okay, so he gets his $500 stipend, allowance, whatever. He spends that on guns and drugs, specifically heroin, speed, and LSD. Great combo, Ronnie. Super great combo. Way to disassociate from reality while you purchase firearms. That is how you get a upstanding citizen, a normal and psychologically stable citizen. Yep. Who is heroin, amphetamines, LSD, and guns. Yeah. One or two of those things might just be sad. All of those together is like, even one of those things by itself is like, oh, that's incredibly self-destructive, but like, whatever. All of those things together, that's just nothing short of a recipe for disaster. Yeah. There's no way for that to be okay ever for anybody, no matter what your your moralistic uh, uh, framework is. It's just that that can never be okay. Yeah. Nobody can handle that. Don't mix guns with drugs. In fact, don't mix drugs with anything. (laughs) Don't mix drugs with more drugs. Yeah, just one thing at a time. Yeah, just calm your tits. Be a little chill. You're fine. You don't need to speedball acid. (laughs) (laughs) That's what that's called, right? I don't think people call them speedballs anymore. I don't think people do speedballs anymore. I'm sure people do speedballs. I'm sure people do speedballs, but... It's not a... It's not 70s common. So, you know, Butch has everything he's ever wanted because his parents give it to him. But at the same time, his parents still have the purse strings. So he has no real autonomy and control over his life other than removing himself from reality through drug abuse. Yeah. Like, life is shitty. He is shitty. Yeah. Okay, sounds about right. By 1970, he was a high school dropout, and by the age of 20, he was working a token one day a week at his grandpa's car lot. Nice. Okay. Yep. Uh, However, by November 1974, Ronnie Sr. was making an attempt to control his temper, and Ronnie Jr. had cleaned up enough to actually be working full-time at the car dealership. Do we know what year this portrait of them was painted or taken or whatever i'm not sure but probably around that time because right, it looks like they're trying to get along yeah well and also if you like if you look at the picture if you if you see pictures of ronald jr um in like his arrested photos he definitely looks uh-huh. worse than in this picture but he looks but about that age okay. so i imagine that these portraits were all painted pretty close to to this night oh dear yeah so let's talk more about some of the family clusterfuck okay tell me so according to butch's uncle when butch was about two he was and he was present the uncle was present and he watched big ronnie push butch into the wall causing him to hit his head at two at two damn and you know head injuries They've shown that head injuries definitely can... Uh, yeah. Oh, that prefrontal cortex damage. Yeah. Like, 
like TBI in football players makes them super aggressive. I can't even imagine what it does to children. Oh yeah. Well, okay. So that's actually like a really, really common theme in like criminals is like your average serial killer, your average like murderer. They have a head trauma. It's really common. Now, not everybody with head trauma is going to go and become a violent maniac, but violent maniacs are more likely to have had head trauma than not. Uh, Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. So he's got that head wound. Um, At one point, Butch came downstairs to find Don threatening their father with a knife. And he had to basically, like, struggle and intervene to, like, get the knife away from Don. And Don's the uncle? Don's the 18-year-old sister. Oh, shit. I'm sorry. I D-O-N, not D-A-W-N. D-A-W-N. Not D-O-N. Yeah. So, basically the whole family hated each other and was armed against each other and was just waiting for them to fight each other. Wow. Yeah. There's another event where Butch and Big Ronnie were fighting. Butch points a shotgun at his father's head, clicks it, but it misfires. Oh my god. So he was ready to shoot him in that moment he and murder him. He was literally going to shoot his father. And the only reason that didn't happen is because the gun misfired. Yeah. And so they just they just walked away from each other and pretended that nothing happened because that's the way to solve that problem. All right. Yeah. There's a story where everyone's at a family dinner and Butch drops his napkin and he leans down to pick up the napkin because that's what a regular human being does. And Senior's like, why did you leave the table? And Junior's like, I didn't. I just bent down to pick up my napkin. So Big Ronnie gets up to beat the shit out of Little Ronnie and then just sits back down at the table like nothing happened. So he beat the shit out of him for not... For leaving the table when he went to get his napkin? Yeah. So basically one of those, like, real gnarly abusive situations. Basically, like, you're a super, super abusive guy, you punch and hit your family, you're really awful, and then, to make up for it, you're really sweet, you buy them nice things, you you write them love songs. Classic cycle of abuse. Damn. Butch's friends were actually scared to go inside his house because Senior would beat his wife and kids in front of them. Wow. Um, I would be afraid of that, too. Right? Not be coming over to hang out. No, sir. Oh, yeah. Like, I remember I remember going over to, like, my friend's house and their parents were arguing. And they were just arguing. And it made me insanely uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to go over to somebody's house and their parents are arguing, let alone when they're, like, throwing fists. Yeah. Although, I do remember when I was in the apartments uh, in Midvale, uh-huh. I, I had this downstairs neighbor whose parents were immigrant Italians and they were like a super passionate couple and so they would argue with each other but they would argue with each other in Italian and so instead of being scared or like upset by the situation I would just be like wow that language is so pretty (laughs) that's amazing (laughs) I might be a broken child (laughs) you know we're all a little bit broken we're all a little bit broken but also that lady cooked some mean pasta Ooh, pasta's worth a little bit of yelling sometimes. Although, don't tell Ronnie Jr. that. Don't tell Ronnie Jr. Too late. Too late. Tell me more about this story. Okay, yeah. Shortly before the murders, 
Butch was sent to deposit over $2,000 to the bank from the dealership. He reports that he got robbed at gunpoint while waiting at a red light, but he had actually planned the mock robbery with a friend. So, uh, Senior initially believes him, but when Butch starts getting, like, dickish with the police, his dad catches on and, like... He's like, oh. Yeah, calls him out, and Butch threatens to kill him. Of course. Again. Because that's what you do. Yeah. You know, classic, classic Ronald. So, is there any truth uh, to the claim, I guess, or any... uh, Yeah, is there any truth to the idea that they were actually connected to the mob and that they were uh, functioning in that capacity of disposing of bodies and, and money laundering? Or is that something that was just, like, brought up as a defense um, when Ronnie Jr. was involved in a situation that he didn't want to be in? I am not 100% sure. I am I am 97% sure that there was no mafia ties to the murder. But right. I, I have heard some evidence to indicate that the dealership was... At least a front for some small mafia dealings. Money okay. laundering is a really easy and obvious one. I'm not sure if body, right. you know, disposal and all of that other stuff. But I do believe that there was some mafia ties. Just not like a big giant scary ring going on inside of that dealership. Right. So back to November 13th. It's about 3 a.m., Butch takes his 35 caliber lever action Marlin 336 rifle. Ooh, lever actions are expensive. He had a lot of money. Well, now nowadays they are. I mean, then probably not so much. Now they're like fancy old school collector's items, I should say. You can get one for like 600. A lever action? Yeah. Of what era? A, a Marlin. A Marlin 336. I actually, I Googled it because I was like, what the fuck is this Marlin rifle? And I looked up the oh, really? 35 caliber 336 lever action. It was like 600 bucks. It probably didn't have like anything else to it. It was probably like, oh. this is what it is. But right. 600, you know. Anyway, so Butch takes his his fancy Marlin rifle. Or maybe not as fancy as we think it is. Maybe less fancy. It's a rifle. He takes a rifle. <laughs> uh, he takes his he rifle. He takes his rifle. He enters the bedroom of his sleeping parents. He shoots Ronald DeFeo Sr. in the back. The shot goes through his kidney and exits through his chest. Then he shoots him a second time. That's a weird angle. The bullet enters his spine and lodges in his neck. I think what it is is that he was sleeping on his stomach and he shoots him and from him like up. above but away. And so above and behind. Yeah. So it goes and, and so and it up. goes yeah. like through at a really yeah. strong diagonal. Right, like at a 45 with his back or something. Mm-hmm. Or less. Or less. Yeah. So then he shoots his mother twice in the back. That shatters her rib cage and collapses her right lung. Physical evidence the, actually shows that she was probably awake when she was murdered. Oh, fuck. Presumably because her husband had just been shot with had a fucking shot. rifle. Oh, my God. So did she die immediately or did she die because her lung collapsed? She probably died because her lung collapsed. Because that's oh, a that's very bad. lethal that wound, takes... but that's not an immediately right, but lethal that's wound. That's not quick. That's not your that's heart. Not that's your lung. That's you suffocating. That's you suffocating to death yeah. because you were shot. You die of drowning in blood. Oh, God. Which 
Oh my god, could you imagine anything that horrifying? You're sleeping next to your husband. He gets shot by your son and you drown in blood. Your son shoots your husband. You wake up. Your son shoots you. You die drowning in your own blood. Oh, That's nightmare fuel. Do you think he knew? He, I mean, I guess he couldn't have knew, but like, can you imagine? Like, the choice to take someone's life is one thing, right? But the choice to... Oh, to take their life in such a way that it's not quick. Yeah. That they just, like, a go- uh, this, uh, uh, there's there's no way to say this about something totally heinous, but, like, if you're gonna kill your mother, <laughs> if you're gonna kill your mother, don't you think you should shoot her in the head? Like, double tap, like, do something so at least you know she's not suffering? I mean... Like, if you're gonna shoot your mom, isn't the least you can do to kill her so she's actually dead and not, like, lying there drowning? You, you are giving morality to somebody who is a family annihilator, so... <laughs> okay, okay. You know? Right. If you're gonna okay. kill your mom, Fair. like... You maybe shouldn't yeah, kill your mom. Yeah, <laughs> just don't kill your mom. But the kind of person who's gonna kill his mom probably wants her to suffer. Although the thing is... Like, Ronnie Sr. was obviously, like, a bit of a dick butt, but he actually apparently had a really close and loving and nurturing relationship with his mom. Really? Yeah. Like, his mom was a good person. She was also the brunt of her husband's wrath. Empathy. Empathy is what's lacking there. Uh, yeah. (laughs) Very much. Back to the murders. You know, I've stayed a lot more on track than I did before, so whatever. (laughs) Butch goes across the hall to the brother's room, shoots John and Mark while they're laying face down. They just get shot in the back. It's interesting that it's a whole family full of tummy sleepers and that two people in their household could be shot with a shot with a rifle and nobody wakes up and hides or does anything. They're all just still passed out in their beds. Uh, we'll get into that. Oh, okay. Great. Yeah. Because that seems a little bit questionable to me as well. Okay. So he then goes into Allison's room, who's next door. He shoots her in the face, killing her instantly. So that's kind of an indication that Allison might have been awake as well. Then he goes upstairs to the third floor. That's Dawn's room. He shoots her in the head, essentially blowing off the left side of her face. Oh. It's pretty bad. I did not post that crime scene photo. Thank you. Anytime, babies. So this all takes about 15 minutes. Butch then showers, trims his beard, throws on a fresh set of clothes, grabs his bloody clothes and rifle, and sets off to work. On his way to work, he throws the rifle over some Amityville dock, and he tosses the bloody clothes into a storm drain. The police actually do end up finding the rifle. Butch shows up to the dealership at 6 a.m. He tells the folks at work that he doesn't know why his dad isn't come in he keeps calling home to like kind of establish an alibi but in a statement that he made later to the police that night he actually says that he didn't expect his dad at work that day because he was taking his brother mark to a doctor's appointment so that totally goes in the face of his own alibi oh yeah my dad's late he should be here and then later oh well i didn't expect him to be there because he was taking my younger brother to a doctor's appointment so no wonder he didn't show up yeah so he's like not even an official suspect yet, and he's already giving multiple versions of the same story. Oops. Bad idea. 
so he's at work, he gets bored, he ends up taking off around, like, between noon and 1pm. And he spends the rest of his day with his friends, where he continues to tell them that he can't reach anyone at home, and it's so weird, and I've been calling home and they're not there. So he ends up at Henry's bar. At about 6pm, he leaves. He tells everyone that he wants to go check on his family. Wink and nudge wink. Which is a lie. Then he runs back in at 6.30pm, and that's where our stories come back together. And then what happens? So police find the Marlin rifle box. They turn their attention to Ronnie Jr. He confesses after a fairly short but fairly intense interrogation of 12 hours. Is is a 12-hour interrogation really all that intense or all that short? Um there have been much longer interrogations. However, I definitely So, okay, we're getting into like kind of weird like 5th and 8th amendment law here. It depends is really yeah. the answer. And for a 12-hour interrogation, you usually don't have, like, two cops screaming down your face that entire 12 hours. It's really just that, like, you are not allowed to leave the precinct and cops are coming in and out asking you questions. Right. And is that the case now or was that the case then as well? Um, this was after Miranda, so it would have been the case then. Okay. But... I guess, and this is maybe something we can only speculate on, but really to what extent would those rights be, uh, respect, respect is not the word, but upheld in a situation where somebody was suspected of annihilating their entire family? Well, and also like, okay, so. Cause again, like I'm going to get in. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just saying like, again, my knowledge of this is purely based on procedural dramas but the way it's like depicted on television is like, you know, theoretically your rights and those those situations are respected. However, if like you're suspected of being something like a family annihilator, they're like, oh, whatever, you'll have my back. I'm just going to go in there and rail on this guy for a while and see what happens. Like, you know, there's kind of this image presented to the public through media that if you're suspected of something super heinous, that those rights might might not necessarily apply and you're going to be interrogated in a more, like, intense and less legally correct manner. So here we're kind of getting into, like, a weird crossover between, like, law and sociology. Okay. So, like, you're correct. Like, the police are real human beings and they behave like human beings. And if they you know, aren't trained properly or aren't, for whatever reason, like, don't take the rights of this criminal seriously. Just don't care. Then, yeah, they are more likely to commit police brutality. However, so when you've got one of these, like, really, really serious cases, if you're talking about murder, pedophilia, anything that's, like, gonna have, like, a really big prison sentence is gonna be like and a stronger emotional response probably from the people working the mm-hmm. case is gonna be like harder on society you need to uphold people's constitutional rights even more so a because wrongly assuming that somebody's done something like that is more awful if it's something worse right it'll mess up their life more but B, and this is even more important, if you violate somebody's constitutional rights, that gets thrown out. Right. So even if they are guilty, if you mess up as far as their constitutional rights are concerned, 
then their case could be thrown out of court and you could be responsible for letting somebody who is a family family annihilator go free. Yes. Gotcha. However, 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 according to Rick Asuna, who wrote The Night the DeFeos Died, the police had a confession rate in the 90s at this time. What do you think that indicates? Which I is feel like unheard of. It indicates police brutality. Okay, that's kind of what I thought. I feel like that indicates yeah. like shady shit going on for sure. Yeah. It abs it 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 has some gnarly like implications. gnarly implications. Yeah. Yeah. A 90% confession rate. It's bad. Only so one out bad. of 10 people we arrest don't immediately say that we're right and they're in trouble. Hmm. <laughs> That's a thing. However, I definitely think he did it. Or at least was part of it. But there's about a million different stories and I'll get into that. But he does tell the police where he dumped everything and that's how they found the rifle. If you tell the cops where the murder weapon and your bloody clothes are and they find them, that doesn't make you look very innocent. Yeah. I I 100% do not believe that he was innocent. I also at least 90% think that his confession might have involved some punching. And so coercion? Some coercion. Some heavy coercion. Let's use your legalese, Alex. I know you have it. You are allowed to coerce a confession. Oh, really? Of course. That's what an interrogation is. Oh, okay. I thought coercion was like when you tricked somebody in a way that was outside of the law. That's one of those complicated things because, like, you're dealing with criminals who may or may not have done really, mm-hmm. really terrible things. So you you don't just treat them with, like, all due respect and 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 kindness and sensitivity that any regular human being automatically earns by existing because they lost that by being a family annihilator or a suspected family annihilator yeah you don't want to you don't want to violate people's constitutional rights however if you're in an interrogation room you have less rights right inherently yeah okay and 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 constitutionally you have less rights okay so they're not violating your constitutional rights by like yelling at you or by asking you uncomfortable questions I can go into Fifth Amendment stuff and Fourth Amendment stuff and Eighth Amendment stuff, but it's not specifically relevant. Not right now. Yeah. So, he confesses, but he has a million different versions of what the story is, of what happened that night. So the other versions. Butch and Don committed the murders together. Butch and Don and a friend committed the murders together. Wait, wait, but Don ended up murdered, so what? Butch and Don... Agreed to kill the parents, but Don killed the kids, and in a rage slash despair, Butch killed Don. In her room? Yes. Huh. Yeah, I'm not. So they committed the murders together, murdering the parents, then she somehow sneaks off, kills the other siblings, and gets back to her bedroom before he, in a rage, despair, despair, rage, shoots her in the side of the face i think i think it's more like they agree to kill the parents they kill the parents he freaks out and leaves she tries to you know cover up the witnesses by shooting the kids he finds out that she had shot the kids after he comes back and then he shoots her okay i don't buy it but no that seems weird that seems weird there are some indications that don may have been involved 
Ooh, can we get into those now or is that later? Um, it's it's shortly later. Um, I'll get into it, but I have and a couple Don more was, things to say first. Don was the eighteen-year-old sister. Eighteen, eighteen. Yeah. There's also the Butch did it in self-defense. That's what he said at trial. Right, persistent abuse and just crazy. And Physical also, and he abuse heard and... them plotting against him. They were going to kill him or he was going to kill them. While they were laying on their tummies in their bed? Uh, yeah. That's when I do all my murder plotting. <laughs> I lay next to my boyfriend in my bed on my tummy and I go, you know who I'm going to kill? It's you. Yeah, and no. your family. Oh and my, my family. Um, there's also that Louise, his mom, did it and then killed herself. Which is physically Through impossible. The lungs in the back. Yeah, you can't sh- you can't lay down, shoot yourself twice in the back. Absolutely not. So Rick Asuna, who wrote the night the DeFeos died, and he has that he has the Amityville murder site that I sent you. The Amityville Murders.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That was his site. He believes that there were two different weapons used. And Why does he believe this? I'll get into that. Okay. Um, around when I'm talking more about the Dawn stuff. But also they found unburnt gunpowder on Dawn's nightgown. Which does go to show that she had fired a weapon. However, it is possible to have the weapon fired upon you, like really close range, and get the unburnt gunpowder on you. Okay. Or also, like, Butch had a fuckload of guns. Right, gunpowder around the home, like... She could have fired a weapon and not have killed somebody, or even intended to kill somebody, and just have been firing a weapon. I mean, I in her nightgown. But it was though. on her nightgown. No, you're right. I don't but know, also, man. But also, then, too, if you, if you believe the story that's painted of them being this, like, kind of mafioso family, and there's guns, and there's money, and there's just, like all the stuff going on, how unreasonable is it that an 18-year-old girl might end up with gunpowder on her dress? Like, of all the circumstances under which somebody totally innocent could end up with, like, gunpowder on their PJs? (laughs) Pretty convincing. Yeah. But at the same time, like, there was that one story of Dawn threatening her father with a knife. Right, so, and that's something that does happen with systemic abuse, right? Yeah. Like long-term abuse. Eventually, you get to the point where you're going to fight back or you're going to die. And you might get to the point where you decide, I'm going to try and fight back. Yeah. So I, I do think that there's a possibility that, like, Don and Butch in some way plotted this or were involved together in doing this. And they also, like, they they were particularly close. There's some stories of incest, but, like, I don't know. I feel like that's just for headlines. There's no actual proof of incest. Mm-hmm. But they were close. And they were the oldest. And so it is possible that Dawn was involved somehow. However, she ended up as a murder victim, too. So she's still the fucking victim. Right. And Butch is still the fucking murderer. Yeah. Even if she is even also if, a murderer. Even if she was involved in the plan and was like, yeah, this is a terrible situation. Let's kill mom and dad. Like, she ended like, up murdered. It's still, so. yeah. Basically, she may or may not have been involved, but she's dead and he's not. And he definitely was involved. 
So it kind of doesn't matter at this point. Right. Okay. So Butch is telling a thousand different stories. Butch's grandfather shows up, tells Butch to quit telling stories and take the whole rap. I don't want to hear any more about Don. I don't want to hear any more about other people. I don't want you to drag the family's name through the mud anymore. This is the Brigante grandfather. This is Michael Brigante. Yeah, so his mother's father. Yeah. Um, so Butch is arrested. Now, one of the things that Ronnie Jr. tells his lawyer, William Weber, is that on the night of the murders, he was doing acid in the basement and watching Castle Keep, which is a war film. When the movie finished, he heard his whole family plotting to kill him, and a female demon with black hands gave him the rifle. So that's one of the suspicious, like, stories. One of the versions. Okay. Okay. You may or may not know this, but what kind of precedent is there for people actually doing a lot of LSD and then murdering somebody? Because I've never known anybody to trip on a hallucinogen of any variety besides DMT to see anything like seeing a demon or you know like seeing a person that's not there like that level of hallucination like you see demonstrated on television is not a thing that does not happen so there's individuals that you and I both know from high school who we know did like a lot of drugs and you know I've never known anybody anybody I've never even said like oh a friend of a friend of mine saw this when they were no like the whole like seeing shit that isn't there i've not known anybody on any hallucinogen again except for with the exception of dmt which only lasts for like 30 minutes and i've never heard of anything violent coming from it i've never known anybody to straight up see something that is not there on on any hallucinogen and I guess I just am, like, getting particularly heated up about this because it sounds like he's gearing up for this, like, I was doing drugs and watching war movies and, like, had hallucinations that my family was trying to kill me. Like, unless he was getting some next-level shit, no. I mean, okay. A, you know that hallucinogens cause hallucinations. That's a welcome to no shit Sherlock land. Right, but hallucination is a, hallucination is a very broad term. exactly. Is the thing. A hallucination could be the wood grain moving slightly. And that's usually what it is for most people. Most people who have a history of using hallucinogenics and psychedelics describe things like that. Not seeing beings or forms that are not there unless they're like tripping on ayahuasca or DMT. But there is a correlation in use of hallucinogens and the triggering of schizophrenia. Okay. All right. I kind of figured this was going to go there. You're right. That there, that whole... I don't think he's schizophrenic, though. Like, we might be able to cut all of this out because the next thing I'm going to tell you is going to explain everything. Oh. So, he definitely was on acid. Okay. Probably. He definitely probably was on acid. Definitely probably. Years after this, a DEA agent contacts reporter Rick Moran and tells him that on the night of the murders, the DeFeo house was under investigation. Probably because Butch did a fuckload of drugs. On the night of the murders, he saw Don leave the house wearing dark clothing, including black gloves, holding a rifle. So I think what happened is he was on acid, and he literally saw his sister 
dressed like a demon, hand him a rifle, and he was like, I just saw a demon hand me a rifle. When in reality, it was probably his sister in a nightgown handing him a rifle saying, kill our abusive parents. It was his sister in, like, you know, a full, like, dark hooded jacket with her black gloves and, you know, wearing dark clothes, handing him a rifle. And like you were saying, it's not going to cause you to hallucinate a person, but it might change things just a little bit. It changes your perception. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. you see... Your sister, dressed like kind of this dark, weird force, and you see her as a dark, weird force. So, okay, okay, when was this supposed to have taken place? Or when this did this This was in 1973. Okay. 1974, sorry, 1974. So, so it, between 1973 and 1977 is when the war on drugs became a thing. Yeah. When uh, this demonization and criminalization um, that kind of became over the top of of substances became a thing. And so for me, anything that's like blah, blah, blah was on acid and shot his whole family sort of kind of it it just has this this stink of war on drugs, propaganda and and not to say that that could never happen, but that, like, it's really interesting when that does come up, and it makes me very skeptical. Yeah. Like, so, maybe he was just fucking crazy. Well, okay. A, I don't want to reinforce negative stereotypes about mentally ill people. B, I don't want to pick drug users over mentally ill people on who I'm going to accuse of committing crimes. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not going to be like, oh, acid doesn't make you commit crimes, but schizophrenia does. Like, that is 100% okay. not the stance I I'm going to take. Yeah, I would agree <laughs> with not taking either of those stances. I guess, for me, it's just interesting, uh, the timeliness of this murder Yeah, with all of that that was going on. And the fact that that would correlate with the claims that, you know, um, Junior would make and his lawyer would make and all these things. Like, it's it's culturally relevant that's what i'm saying is it's culturally relevant that such a gruesome murder would happen and it would get tied to drug laws yeah or tied to drug abuse um because of what was going on i guess it's really what i'm saying is that it's interesting to me because it's particularly relevant those two would be tied together and i i feel you i feel you on like like you're right it is like that time and you know drugs However, like, this is only one of the stories. Right, okay, I'm sorry. millions of stories. Yeah. Okay, not millions, but, like, goddamn, close to a million. And he had, for years, been doing heroin, acid, and amphetamines. Right, and that's undeniably going to mess with your reality. If something is going to trigger... A psychotic break? (laughs) Yes, it would be that. You're Years right. that's of undeniable. the abuse of those three drugs. Right. That's like, okay, un- sure. Yeah. One acid trip, one bad acid trip is not going to cause a family annihilation. In fact, drugs are not going to cause a family annihilation. That's not what causes family annihilation. However, that much drugs is probably going to cause some kind of instability mm-hmm. as far as your psychology goes. Because if you do years of those three drugs specifically... You're going to get fucked up. Oh, for sure. I think you're, that's undeniable completely. 
And I think I just get, I just got lost on that tangent because again, because the timeliness, right? Because it's so interesting to me that you have a family annihilator who is a severe drug abuser during the time of the, the peak of the war on drugs it's just yeah. interesting to me, I guess. Well, and I'd be, I'd be happy to do some research on, like, because, cause like, yes, there are some really, really horrific stories and horrific murders involving, like, a schizophrenic person. And, yes, there are, like, drugs do not cause schizophrenia. Schizophrenia is a mixture of nature and nurture. Like, it's one of those biological things that is just there. Yeah. However... An introduction to certain stressors into your body when you already have the predisposition to schizophrenia. Right. If your brain is already not handling regular reality and then you alter that reality on top of it through chemical means. uh, Yeah. Like that makes perfect sense to me that that would be the trigger for a larger break from reality. Yeah. However, I don't think that he's schizophrenic. There's not really a lot of indications that he's schizophrenic. So, okay, so we're, I think at this point in the show, we've kind of, we're got, we've gotten to the point where it's like, okay, he obviously did it. Yes. Obviously. He annihilated his family, but why? Like, is there Oh, a we larger... don't know why. He's told us way too many stories as to why. So, but okay, your speculation, right? Is there a larger, like, mental and emotional instability that was exacerbated by drug abuse? Um, I think is that it he was a sociopath. The abuse from his father... Okay, so can you define sociopath, please, and what that really functionally means? Uh, so a sociopath is just somebody who lacks empathy. Most sociopaths live in the world and are non-criminal and actually have normal relationships um, because they were socialized properly and learned how to live so in the world. So is it the combination of that socio of those sociopathic tendencies or just, I guess, sociopathy, what we'd call it? Um, antisocial personality disorder might be one of them okay APD. antisocial personality disorder com- combined with like the abuse absolutely an abusive father and an, and then uh, you mix the drugs and his narcissism and his like kind of his greed mixed with his like i get whatever i want attitude and life so so sociopath so it is a combination of nature and nurture right like he was yeah. born a sociopath and then raised by these people so he became that way yeah, basically his parents unintentionally or intentionally raised created a family annihilator. Murderer. Yes, they Good created job. their murderer. And, you know, everyone ended up a victim. That's such a trip. Yeah, it's a, it's a, sad, it's a sad time. Sad time. How far off of our little, let me look at this here, itinerary did I get us? Oh my god, we haven't even gotten to the haunting. All right. Yeah, I'm starting to think that this might be a two-parter terrible anyway we should get back on track with this um oh the defense also brought in a criminologist so this is the reason rick asuna believes in the two guns Mm -hmm. uh herman reyes he was a he's a criminologist brought into by the defense he said while in a closed courtroom so they had like pushed all the public and the tv cameras and blah 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 out but uh, the jury and the judge are still there i believe so the judge was definitely there i'm not sure if the jury heard this however he said that he believed that there were multiple weapons used and that some of the bodies were moved. And what what did he have? Like, what did he base that belief know. on? I don't know. I have no idea. Because most so of the things that So this is hearsay from a lawyer? From Junior's lawyer? Right? Isn't that how no, it would be defined? It, 
it's a basically an expert came in to testify. That's okay. the thing about experts. There's one on either side, and one of them's going to say, I believe this, and one of them's so, going to say, I expert, believe the opposite of this. This is an expert for the defense said, I believe that there was more than one gun for mm-hmm. unknown reasons, and I believe the bodies were moved for, as far as you and I are concerned, uh, unknown reasons. Yeah. We don't know how he came to this conclusion, because I just didn't have access to that kind of documents. I yeah. maybe could get a hold of the trial record, but good god that would take i spent two weeks researching this (laughs) i am not reading the trial record but you could if somebody paid me (laughs) if we start actually making money off of this show i will read trial records (laughs) great you hear that listeners we need a sponsor because do you have any idea how much better the show would be if alex could read trial records it'd be so much better Waste her time. Waste Get better my time. information. Please. Pay me to waste my time. You'll you'll think it's worth it. If you respect yourself and the things that you are passionate about, you will spend your money on it. And you will get the best information. That's true. That's true. So at some point, maybe. But on this particular case, no trial records were read. I did I did read right. his police statement. <laughs> I, I, I dug into some primary sources, just not all of them. I'm not writing a novel. Okay, fair. Um, so, oh yeah, one more weird thing. Okay, so blah, blah, blah. How did all of these people sleeping on their stomachs, not wake up, not try to escape, yada, yada, right? Like yes. I brought up before. And that's, that is probably... Like- I wake up when my dog needs to come into my room. Like, how do you not wake up when your family is yeah. being murdered? And there I'm are sorry. some kids that are, like, hella sleepers, but this was six murders. I'm sorry. Children wake up no. and come into their no, parents' no, no, no. room in the middle of the night, like, five times a night. Like, I have you, a story. Like... So me and Piper went camping okay. with Jamie one time. Um, uh-huh. And Piper... Jamie was really into trains when he was little. You remember that? Yeah. Oh, I remember so that. Piper yeah. was like, oh, we're going to sleep next to the train tracks because that's fun. Have you ever been next to a train? Fun yes. The horns and the lights and the of the train tracks. We were not 10 yards away from the train. Oh, my God. We were six yards away from the train, I would say. We were fucking close to the train. Starting at maybe like two or three in the morning and every hour or two after that, a train came by with the beeping of the honking of the horns of the everything of the slamming noises, the bright lights. It was when I first woke up, I was like, I'm getting abducted. I literally believed in aliens for a second. (laughs) At that moment. Like not just believed in aliens. Believed that they had been here. Believed that they knew our anatomy. And believed that they wanted me. (laughs) Me. (laughs) Believed that they were coming for me. And me me and Piper woke up having gigantic panic attacks because aliens were coming for us because the train was so close to us. And Jamie just laid there, starfished and snoring. Starfished and snoring. Every time the train came by. Which was multiple times. He did not That's wake really up. That's really funny. <laughs> he did not wake so, up. So, there are some heavy sleeper children. However, okay. not six. I believe that. 
Right, exactly. Not six and not, like, shotgun yeah. fire. Like, that's what seems uh, questionable to and me. And to make it even worse, the defense actually conducted an experiment with the Marlin rifle. And a gunshot like that could be heard five blocks away. What was So what was the purpose of their defense for that? I think that they just wanted to, like, raise suspicion. About what, though? That there had to be more than one shooter or... Because it's, it's just more of a or... like, here's a weird thing, and the prosecution can't explain it. I don't know if they were okay. really using it to prove that Butch didn't do it, so much as they were using it to prove that the prosecution wasn't actually putting on a good case. Because as the defense, your job isn't okay. to prove that your client is innocent. Your job is to prove that the prosecution hasn't proved that your client is guilty. Okay, okay. Because right. of you. the standards. The right. higher than a reasonable doubt standard. Right. Um, so if I can, pro- I don't have to prove my client's innocent, I have to prove that you're not yep. doing your job. Yep, that is the defense attorney's job. Which is why they're really important, even when they're defending really awful people. Because <laughs> you want your cops to be doing their jobs, especially when it comes to murderers. So... Yeah, so this okay. could be heard five blocks away. No neighbors heard anything. However, well, that's they did find one neighbor who heard the dog barking between 3 and 3 a.m. Between 3 and 3? Oh, sorry. Between 3 and 3.30 a.m. Oh, okay. Which was when the, shun- the, the murders would have happened. They also found no indication of a silencer. So what does all this indicate? I mean, is this kind of, like, unimportant and there's just, like, I mean, this feel, this, all this information feels very unsatisfying Well, so that's me. the thing, is that, like, I've never found a decent answer as to why this is, other than maybe a different weapon was used. Um, which is such a meh, you know? Like, that's just, like, such an uninteresting answer. Right, that's yeah. a shit answer. I don't like it. Um... And the police generally, so like the prosecution side, generally believed that there was no indication that the bodies had been moved. And the autopsies didn't find any drugs or alcohol in their systems. Okay, so if they hadn't been moved... So again, it's one of those like, how did they all end up sleeping on their stomachs, murdered, without trying to escape or fight back or something? Or anything. And... So that's, I think, that's one of the unanswered questions that I still don't have a satisfying answer to. Well, that sucks. Yeah. Like, like everything that's happened, I'm like, okay, there's a, there's a reason for this. It's this. But the gun and the gunshots. Fucking, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, However, this does kind of go into the haunting thing. There are definitely people that that think that this proves that the house was haunted before Butch DeFeo even murdered his family. Because somehow evil spirits caused like a silence upon the house so that the family didn't wake up while a gun was being shot. And the family couldn't. Really? I know. This it's is bullshit. where the haunting it's comes bullshit. from. It's not from like poltergeist kind of activity. It's from like 
lack of investigative no, no, no. abilities and people like and shit stories. No, no, no. That's just that's just one of the uh, one of the proofs uh, of haunting. I don't like that. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't have a satisfying answer to Ooh, the the whole Marlon Rifle being an earblower thing. Sucks. I don't like. That I know at all. it's like you're talking so about being a two part thing, and I'm like, okay, cool. I can get a shower and get to bed, but like, fuck that. Are you kidding me? Well, there's no answer. There's no answer. I I would give you the answer, but I don't have it. Maybe I'll do research. But I don't think I'm going to so, okay, find okay. it. I don't so think there's an was, answer. So was, was Junior convicted? Okay, yes. did he? Let me, let me get into the okay, trial Okay, please now. do. Thank We're going you. to the trial. Okay. So the trial begins October 14th, 1975. Okay. So it's almost a year later. In a pre-trial hearing, William Weber tries to get the confession thrown out, uh, arguing police brutality. Um, that would have fucked them. Because there's a, there's a theory in criminal procedure that is essentially, it's called the fruit of the poisonous okay. tree. So whatever it is that you, the first thing that you do that is unconstitutional. Everything after that. Cuts off mm -hmm, anything that came from that unconstitutional thing. Even if you did those later things constitutionally. Right. You're fucked. Not allowed. So. Right. So if you discover a weapon with a search warrant that you were able to get because of an unlawful confession that totally convicts them and proves that they did it, still doesn't count. Ugh. Yep. So basically, if he had gotten the confession thrown out, he also would have gotten the rifle thrown out. But he didn't. And if he gets the confession and the rifle thrown out, the prosecution has nothing to prove Butch did it other than he's the only one still alive. Which is kind of a fucked up way to prove that somebody did something. Right. Everyone in your family. Like, his whole family is dead. Convict him of murder. Yeah, no. I mean, even in this situation, though, it's true. Right? Like, that. that is... That is a true statement. But I don't want to live in a society where that kind of a statement can be used to convict me of murder. That's exactly it. That is exactly the reason that the defense attorney's job is really important, even if he's representing a monster. Is because you don't want to live in the kind of society where these kinds of tyrannical systems are allowed to go on without check. Yes. It's super important. Accurate. I like defense it's attorneys. It's accurate and upsetting, but thank you, defense attorneys. They're one of the only attorneys that I get along <laughs> with. <sighs> I'm a lawyer. Anyway. <laughs> so so he asks to have the confession thrown out. And arguably he could have, but the judge actually just... The, the judge denies him his request, but does allow him to bring up police brutality in the trial. Okay. As like a means for swaying the jury? Yeah. Okay. Basically, basically, um, to impeach the prosecution's side. So, in in the alternative, uh, Weber also decides to argue insanity. Okay, of course, because he is probably. Okay, so quick, quick aside about legal insanity. Legal insanity okay. and insanity are different things. Okay, did not know that. Like, so in Jeffrey Dahmer's trial, they tried to argue insanity. And the evidence was like, look at the fucked up shit he did. He's clearly insane. 
didn't work. Um, and there's a there's actually like a whole history of legal insanity that I would be happy to cover at some point if you wanted me to do that. It's pretty. There's some pretty fun cases involved. Can I can I ask a question? Yeah. So is the difference between insanity and legal insanity whether or not you're able to know what you're doing is considered like wrong by society? Yes. Oh. <laughs> no, that's not always what it was. Okay. Um, there have been different like phases of legal insanity mm-hmm. throughout the history. And at one point, insanity almost was, are you insane? But it has become, to today, in our courts, um, are you capable of knowing the difference between right, of, right and wrong? Or slash, what we consider right and wrong, those of us who are not sane, or who are sane. Yeah. Like, well, well, I mean, everyone's insane. Okay, that's not true. Well, I'm insane. <laughs> so I, I guess I should rephrase that as like, are you capable of knowing that most people will be really, really upset if you murder somebody, so you probably shouldn't, even though you personally don't see a problem with it, right? Like, no, no, you... no, no. That's exactly it. If you don't, if you don't understand that murder is wrong, that's legal insanity. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, but so... What if you personally understand, like, you personally don't feel that it's wrong, but you understand that society thinks it's wrong? Like... That's a... That's a capable of knowing that it's right... Between right and wrong. Right, so you're capable to stand trial? Am I confusing That's a, that's a different... Of, okay. Yeah. That's a... That's another standard. Um, that, like... So there's criminally insane that's used for, like, culpability within the trial itself. And then are you capable of standing trial is actually more of, like, a functional sanity. Yeah. Okay. That's that's more of a regular what we think of everyday sanity. Like, like um, it's a little bit, like, do would you be able to understand the consequences of what's going on in a trial? But it's also just, like, are you capable of sitting there without freaking the fuck out? Right. Blah, blah, blah. Insanity. Okay, his lawyer pled, tried to plead insanity. Yeah, his lawyer tried to plead insanity. The, the defense brought in forensic psychiatrist and expert in dissociative identity disorder, mm. which is I know multiple what DID personalities. Is. I know what DID is. I do work <laughs> in a therapeutic setting. Well, yeah, but like, we have listeners that aren't psych majors and okay. or therapists or child workers. <laughs> Probably most people don't know psych the way we know that psych. The DID is like the preferred, more correct terminology for dissociate, like for multiple personality disorder. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Dr. Daniel Schwartz. Uh, he argued that Butch was completely unaware that he had killed his parents until afterwards. Like like a fugue state kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Or because of identity disorder? Uh, I think a little of both. Okay, fair. Which I believe, I believe would constitute legal insanity however i've never heard of a case where somebody like actually managed to argue did and get legal insanity okay so i've heard of people getting legal insanity obviously god just not under those circumstances. not under those circumstances and it didn't work in this circumstance either way uh, the court psychiatrist argued that Butch merely had some antisocial behaviors. 
Just a few little antisocial quirks here and there. Yeah. So I guess the implication there is APD, which is a personality disorder. It's sociopathy. But that does not count as insanity. Being unable to experience empathy does not mean that you are unable to recognize that killing people is wrong. Right. You don't feel badly about it, but it's wrong. Yeah. And you're able to comprehend that. Yeah. And people with sociopathy, like, they they don't lack feelings. They just don't understand how other people feel. Right. You know? Like, they're still people. It's specifically empathy. They're still capable of understanding right and wrong. And also, the fact that he tried to cover up after the crime, you know, he showered, he he, he disposed right. of his clothes. that shows knowing that it was wrong. Yeah, that's, that's one of those indications that he knew what he was doing was wrong, which is kind of the smoking gun, you know, yeah. to get him not actually legally, legally insane. insane. Yep. Right, that makes total sense. Yep. So, I don't know. I just really like legal insanity. It's a really interesting subject Mm -hmm. um but he was definitely not legal insane he may have had his reasons for murdering but he knew that it was wrong the jury deliberated for two days and on november 21st 1975 they found him guilty and he was sentenced on december 4th to six consecutive life sentences with the possibility of parole after 25 years with the possibility of parole after 25 years. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. So six life sentences. So the first life sentence, but they're consecutive. So the first life sentence finishes after 25 years. You can apply for parole. He is still alive and in prison. Did he apply for parole or not? Nah? Yeah. Yeah. No, he's applied a few times. And they said no? Oh yeah. They definitely would not let him out. I don't think he's getting out. He has told so many stories about why it's not his fault. (laughs) They're not letting him out. No. Um, So two weeks later, on December 18th, 1975, the Lutz family moved into 112 Ocean Avenue. Two weeks? After the end of the trial. So a year after the murders. A year and two weeks after the murders. Um, Or just a year, generally. Yeah, the murders happened November 13th, and they moved in December 18th. But it was two weeks after the completion of the trial. Oh my god. I yeah. didn't do that. I, who are these? Ugh. Ugh. Why, Lutz family? <laughs> Why? Well, we'll get into that. So, two weeks after, after Butch was sentenced, on December 18th, the Lutz family moved into 112 Ocean Avenue. They would only stay for 28 days. Why? We'll get into that next time. Ah! Oh! (laughs) Oh, man! What a great cliffhanger! So I guess I want to say thanks for listening. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Twitter's just at Horror Academy and Instagram is at horror underscore academy and you can email us at horroracademypod at gmail.com yay okay bye (laughs) okay bye (laughs) perfect